and welcome to the Nourishing Soulfully podcast, a podcast for those who wish to live a gentler, kinder way of life. Oh, I am so delighted to have you here. This is season two of the podcast and I'll be interviewing some truly wonderful souls on their journey in self-kindness. But first, I'd better introduce myself. I'm Peter, a self-kindness and intuitive eating coach. I live in Cornwall and work with soulful nourishers all over the world with one-to-one and group coaching programs. I always have a cup of tea in my hand and a cat within stroking distance. Be sure to follow me on Instagram. Just search at Nourishing Soulfully and visit nourishingsoulfully.co.uk for updates on new courses, workshops and one-to-one offerings. At the moment on the website, there's a brilliant five-day video course on creating balance in your life, which is free of charge and you can join the Nourishing Soulfully Club too to gain access to the library full of workshops, courses, ebooks, and audio meditations and breathing techniques. But that's enough about me for now. Let's delve into this week's episode of the Nourishing Soulfully podcast. So today on the Nourishing Soulfully podcast, we are joined by business strategist and systems coach Pippa Parfait, who focuses on a human first approach to business with a whole load of disobedience thrown in too. Thank you so much, Pippa, for coming on the podcast. Oh, that's an absolutely, oh, the pleasure is absolutely mine. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to have you. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? One of the things I definitely should have asked you before we started recording the podcast was, um, yeah, I, I have quite colourful language from time to time. Would you, like <laughs> me to tone, would you like me to tone that back slightly? <laughs> Absolutely not. We want you to be completely and utterly you and we can put a little um, E on yes. the podcast episode. There definitely wants to be a small ears warning um, yes. when I get enthusiastic about things. Um, yeah, well, I'm Pippa. I am uh, London born and, well, I say born and bred, but I've been out of London probably for about 20 years now. Um, South Coast and Bristol of the UK. Um, me as a huge, it's very easy, isn't it, in life to just drop straight into the, what do you do for a living and Absolutely. way of describing yourself rather than, you know, who you are as a human. Um, I'm an interesting human. I'm an in, I'm what I would call a gobby introvert. So okay. I'm very much a um, love my own time and energize through being by myself. But I have yeah. one hell of a loud voice that has got a whole lot of opinions going on. So that makes me a bit contrary one way or another. Amazing. So you um, work within something um, called business disobedience, and that's what you kind of coach people around. How yeah, can could you tell us a little bit about business disobedience first? Yeah, 100%. Um, and I guess, and it hadn't only occurred to me really until you asked me that question, it probably has um, its roots in the phrase civil disobedience, um, mm-hmm. if you like. And it's really, it's about um, fucking with the status quo, essentially. Yeah. So it's about not, uh, it's about not following the well-trodden path, which is, often, to be fair, um, mapped out by folks in the business world quite a long time ago who were inevitably white, straight, male, um, and really isn't fit for purpose anymore in the world that we're, if it ever was, to be fair, in the world that we currently live in. So it's around not pushing through and not burning yourself out in the pursuit of um, more, more success, success, et cetera. It's about not linking your productivity to your self-worth. It's about... Yeah not working with folks whose 
values that you you just can't get on board with so um and i'm not talking about differences of opinion i'm talking about not working with people that are openly yeah. racist for example if i'm if i'm being extreme and it feels like linking it to, to to a topic i know that's very close to your heart which is it feels like all of those things are disobedient in as much as they're acts of self-kindness <laughs> they're acts yes. of ways of saying i'm going to put me um, before conforming to all of these standards that are expected in the business world that, quite frankly, are, are set up to take you down, not to build you yeah, up. Absolutely. it's At the moment, that's definitely kind of how our business world is set up to be, isn't it? And I think that's yeah. why I've connected with you um, so much over the years. I can't even remember how I connected with you in the first place, Pippa, but our paths have kind of crossed on different um, workshops and courses that we've both done yeah. and every time I've seen your name I've been like oh thank god Piff is here it's all good <laughs> oh but that's lovely thank you very much <laughs> now I can't remember how our paths crossed originally either, and I don't even think it was on a course I think we, we've been on quite a few courses yeah. together but um but yeah no I think that'll be forever in the wind absolutely so I would love to hear the story of Pippa Parfait up to this point and how and have you always been kind to yourself within your professional life? Well, wouldn't it be lovely if I could go, yes, look at me, I'm the prior of all virtue in this regard, and isn't that fantastic? But the reality is I am the burnout queen. I am the person who has, I mean, I'm 48 years of age now, which makes me cringe ever so slightly to say out loud. Um, and I have probably burnt myself out um in a clinical sense probably three or four times now um i have an <laughs> i have a well-tuned very very shouty and a critic um yeah. who so much so who has a name um she's she's mildred she oh, likes tea it. um yeah she sit her in the corner in a rocking chair with some tea possibly laced with something slightly stronger than she's normally uh a little bit happier in the scheme of things and yeah i haven't been at all kind to myself it's been a huge journey of probably not even into my 40s you know before yeah. I even started to entertain the possibility of being kind to yourself was something that you should or could could consciously be pursuing as opposed yeah. to no the world was all about beating yourself up it was all about everything I mentioned a moment ago it was all about yeah. productivity your worth was linked to what you owned or what you could produce or how successful you were or the title you had, or the car that you drove, and that somehow it was okay to almost kill yourself, you know, yeah. um, metaphorically speaking, in the pursuit of that. And the way to quote unquote motivate yourself was to, uh, yeah, there was there was no carrot. Carrot wasn't something that you entertained. It was basically stick, stick, stick until you couldn't take the stick anymore. And yeah, yeah, that that resulted in um, not a very happy pepper. I don't think. I think it's really interesting as well that you kind of started that by saying I wish I'd always I wish I could say I'd always been like this but I just it's not I don't think it's something that we're born with because even if we were it would be beaten out of us at, throughout kind of childhood and teenage years and into young adulthood through education through the way that the systems are at the moment um, within our society at least and you know we're kind of fed this idea of there's something always wrong with you. You've kind of always got to be trying to fix things. And also you have to work hard to be a good human. Yeah, isn't it interesting? And I just, I mean, I'm absolutely positive that we will evolve as a species. And, you know, yeah. this, could get, this could get quite deep if I go there. But um, 
but I think, you know, generationally, it seems to be improving a little bit more. You know, I, I passed down to, you know, I have two kids um, that are 28, 23. And um, I passed down to them my acts of self-criticism and so yeah. on. But they haven't had children yet, either of them. And whether they do or don't decide to have kids is entirely up to them. But I believe that as a result of them having done a lot of conscious work around this kind of thing yeah. that were they to decide to do that and being so much more self-aware that the impact that I know I've had you know because I knew no better yeah um on them will have been diluted again and that that kind of answer you know without getting too woo-woo that kind of ancestral wound that we keep mm -hmm. passing down through generations gradually is starting to to dilute itself it is and it's starting to heal isn't it and I think young people now are so much more aware of mm. the world and how things work and how they can start kind of not following the rules and the norms and start experimenting yeah. and actually there's a real vulnerability and fierceness in being kind and actually liking yourself and and saying that and, and kind of putting it out there Oh, it's literally the ultimate act of disobedience. I mean, if I think back to when I was in my 20s and in spite of being this kind of um, gobby, opinionated human, human that I am, and I don't say that with any self-criticism at all. I'm mm. totally down with being a gobby, you know, opinionated yeah. human. Um, but if I think back to my 20s, oh, wow. I mean, I, I was a gobby, opinionated human on the outside who just so desperately wanted to conform yeah. and live by the rules and be approved of by people that set the rules or I, that I thought set the rules um, at the time and and would have nothing but perhaps if we, we sort of think towards my late 20s early 30s by which point I'd had kids and so mm -hmm. on um, I'd have nothing but disapproval for yeah. young people and I'm, and I'm using bunny ears here when I say yeah, that yeah. Um, who went out and burned the system down you know mm -hmm. whereas now quite the opposite I have all power to you know, all of them that are taking a stand and, you know, and, and want to create a world that's not the one that they've inherited. Yeah. And it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So talking about kind of personal and professional life, what would you say are your absolute non-negotiables? Yeah, a real <laughs> toughie. Um, I, I'm not sure I believe in non-negotiables because... Okay quite often you're quite often that's a phrase that's used to talk about things like um work-life balance and yeah you know non-negotiables around things like I won't I won't work past six o'clock or you know and I won't do this or I won't do that or I will do this or I will do that mm. you know often helpful to think of it like that but I, I kind of much like I feel about balance I much prefer to think about life not just in terms of work-life balance in terms of any kind of balance as a more of an ebb and a flow yeah, because I don't I honestly don't think there is such a thing. I think there's a there's a notion that wouldn't it be nice to achieve some kind of balance, but that you're always going to tip ever so necessarily, I would argue that you're always going to tip ever so slightly in one direction or the other in any given topic. Yeah. And that the work is potentially doing is being aware enough to see how far down one of the lanes that you've gone before you need to go. Oh, oh hang on. No, back it up there a bit, because yeah we're hitting, I guess, what you might call a non-negotiable, you're hitting a point where you know yourself well enough to know that you're past the point of no return. 
it's interesting isn't it as well because it's it's that kind of it's your intuition that's kind of starts speaking up and if we're aware enough and we can kind of hear it we can see those signs coming along and we can be like oh, oh. yeah I listen yeah I couldn't agree more yeah um yeah. so you recently spoke about feeling reborn every day at midlife and perimenopause and the menopause and this is something which I really don't feel is spoken about enough and which I don't feel we're educated about enough could you share your experience with us and how you have learned to take care of yourself throughout this kind of time yeah I mean I this is a subject that inspire you know I'm a, a business coach to all intents and purposes but I could talk about the subject of perimenopause all day long um I uh I am disappointed ashamed would be the wrong word disappointed to say that I was the ripe old age of probably 45 possibly mm-hmm. 46 before I had even heard the phrase perimenopause yeah. 46 years of age I managed to exist on this planet I learned about periods when I was a kid and I you know I had a I had a vague notion that menopause was shit and yeah. that I inevitably there'd be, there'd be a hot flush or two and I wouldn't have any sleep for another you know 10 years and that mm-hmm. kind of thing but sort of menopause horror stories type things whereas yeah. I was sort of summer of 2019 so coming up on two years I'm just generally aware that I was really tired and you know couldn't focus all that well and I'm as my as my mum would say a pretty sharp cookie yeah. and just couldn't quite understand why I wasn't you know just really wasn't on it so I there's no reason why I would be depressed and and I and I certainly know from a lot of reading and, and study and working with some professionals that I've done since is that one of the most common and I so I say this to anybody that's in there um anything beyond sort of late 30s to be honest yeah. If you're going through a period of feeling very low, very tired, possibly your sleep is interrupted and and all sorts of other sort of mental fog style symptoms, definitely speak to an expert. And when your GP says, oh, it's probably just depression and, and, you know, attempts to send you off with um, a medicate, you know, a prescription of some description for depression, which I'm absolutely not against at all. But I am if if that's not what you're struggling with, Um, because so many women identifying folk in their um in their 40s are sent away with a prescription for um depression related medication when actually it's hormonally related and it's the it's symptoms of the perimenopause yeah so I was very very lucky to be pals with someone who was going through something very similar and, and fairly well um fairly well advised and I went to go I, I, and I'm very fortunate that I had the money at the time to be able to pay for a um private consultation so I bypassed my GP completely mm-hmm. and went to the um the menopause doctor who's based up in um Stratford upon Avon in the UK yeah um and they said to me you know absolutely everything that you're you know that you're going through is perimenopause related and I had a lot of debates at the time about because I'd been very anti you know I was never going to take HRT yeah. and I was going to be one of these people that um you know just you know struggled through because that's what you do isn't it you know you and just, I love you how we take the hard path. yeah we make these decisions though don't we about something that we have yet to experience so we have no idea whether 100%. we will have the capacity yes. to struggle through yep completely and to be fair I had um I had for 17 years prior to that I'd been off it for two years but for 17 years prior to that I'd had a, proge- a slow release progesterone coil 
Yeah. And so my cycle and my hormones um, balance, I'm not saying they're a good idea or a bad idea, but what I do know is that they are, that they obviously interfere with the normal pattern of hormones within your body. Mm. That my um, my hormone, my entire hormone system, that's probably not the right technical phrase, but it'll do, um, uh, was not uh, what it would have been had I not had, um, you know, artificial hormones for such yeah. a long period of time. And in the end, I um, I did, you know, I did a lot of research. I did away with all of the, um, quite frankly, nonsense scaremongering that's still out there in terms of even at a GP level, in terms of the knowledge of um, uh, the risks around HRT versus not taking HRT uh, at any given age. Um, and that's the re- I went and I have been ever since, and it's probably coming up on, that was November of 19, um, coming up on 18 months, and I have not looked back. It has been a such a huge help to just everything in life really and I think kind of what you touched upon there of not really like if you feel that something isn't quite right when you're speaking to a medical professional ask questions get second opinions kind of do your research because they are seeing you for five minutes or 10 minutes at a time but you know your body and it's something that I've recently spoken about again I speak about it all the time in terms of health you know your body and you know if something isn't quite right and you know that if the like your GP or another health um, professional is saying to you something which just doesn't seem to add up ask questions see if you can um see someone else about it do some more research because your intuition and your knowledge of the body that you've lived with for your entire life um is usually spot on oh god yes and listen i so several things in that firstly 100 percent respect to gps there's absolutely they are doing an impossibly difficult job they are doing it um, with a medical degree that expects them to, with, and a lot of members of the public expect them to know everything about everything. Completely. And of course, you know, I, 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 and, and no, any more so than I'm about to give you chapter and verse about, as we know, I can't even get the right system name for the hormone system, um, is that a GP is not going to have that level of detail. And if they, yeah. if they have decent knowledge in a particular area, they're not necessarily going to have specialist up-to-date knowledge in a certain area. But I also have huge, huge empathy for anybody out there in that position, because advocating for yourself with health professionals who come across as being uh, the owners of all of the knowledge and the owners of all of the potential support that you're looking for, when you are just but one human, or that's what it feels like, advocating for yourself in that situation is tough as hell. It really is. is. It really, really is. So... A while back now, you had a big hair change, and I don't <laughs> think I have ever felt so strongly in terms of, oh my God, this person looks so much like them, like because you looked so different when you changed your hair, and I don't know, it was just something like, I was just like, this is Pippa. I don't know who that person in the photos was before this change. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, well, that kind of links back to a little bit of the part of your last question about being reborn um, mm. every day during midlife. And and I, it is, you know, I, I, there's no other way of explaining it. I have had many different hair colours in my lifetime. Um, you know, I've had it highlighted, I've had it slightly reddish, you know, all the yeah. sort of tra- what you might call traditional hair colours. But my hair has always been a source of, like much of me, has always been a source of trying to fit in, to trying to mm-hmm. conform, to try to achieve the approval of them 
whoever yeah. them may be. And of course, because them is quite often this sort of nameless, faces societal thing. Um, and, you know, it was, well, I was going to say almost always, but always in the pursuance of being seen to be attractive or appropriate or, you know, desirable, not necessarily sexually, but desirable yeah. in, a, in a life sense of the word. And I reached probably another one of these rebirth moments um, over Christmas because uh, the bleach happened first week of January. Mm -hmm. uh, hilariously, just as we went into lockdown. So I had absolutely no beauty to maintain it for four months, which was unfunny, I have to say. Uh. Um, yeah, yeah, don't just, just FYI, folks, don't have a full <laughs> scalp bleach um, just before four months of lockdown in the UK. It wasn't oh, funny. Pippa. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> My daughter learned how to have a sort of a B tech in hair pretty quickly. Amazing. Um, uh, but yeah, the way I describe my hair is it's my insides reflected on the outside. It's yeah. um, so I'm so glad that you say that you've never felt so strongly that it yeah, that, that it looks like so like me because I feel like my hair is is wearing how I feel on the inside mm -hmm. on my head. Yeah, no, that's it's just incredible. It really is, um, and I think it just goes to show that he, that inside is just now completely you like you're all you so much mm -hmm. so and I think that really reflects as well in terms of your business and the messages that you put out there as well you do fiercely show up as yourself what's and all 100% yeah you get the lot I'm afraid <laughs> I just think it's amazing Pippa because I think that it, especially in business um, we kind of have this idea that we need to come across in a certain way we can't touch upon certain subjects we can't say certain things we must apologize for the way that we look or not being um, on top of things or whatever it is and we we kind of can't be human at all um, and oh, yeah, absolutely it's it's really damaging and the way that I kind of look at it in terms of because of course some days it does feel so vulnerable just showing up as you are if you're not feeling great, if you're not in that kind of zone where you're like, oh, fuck it, it's fine. It doesn't matter what others think. If you're kind of in that mm -hmm. zone of, oh, I'm, I'm not feeling brilliant today, it does feel really vulnerable and scary to show up just as you are without apologizing, without explaining or justifying. But then the way that I kind of think about it is, well, if I'm justifying or apologizing, then I'm making that okay to do that. And I don't believe that it's okay to have to feel like you need to apologize or justify it. I just think that we need to get past this within our culture now and, and accept people for who they are and kind of get past this judgment all of the time around it. And so um, kind of even little things for me, like showing up on Instagram stories, for example, without makeup on without doing my hair even on a day where I'm not loving the way that I look I won't apologize for it because I just think if if we keep apologizing there's going to be young people watching that who will then yeah. feel like they must apologize for the way that they look yeah listen Peter I completely agree and the the online business space is already exclusive enough as it is mm. um, and by that I mean the opposite of inclusive I just yeah. think it's just not the right word but it's already divisive enough. It's already privileged enough in the people that show up in it and are quote unquote financially successful. Um, without me lending any, as, as, as somebody in that space, without me lending any more credibility to that. So 
for me, if we come all the way back to this business disobedience vibe that I keep, you know, banging up, that I will bang on about until I shuffle off this mortal coil. Yes. Um, that the ultimate act is showing up as me. The ultimate act is not in spite of my mental health, because I would make that, you know, that caveat that says, um, if I'm not in a good place, I'm not going to force myself to show up on Instagram because I don't mm. feel like I'm a slave to the platform in terms of my visibility. But but especially when I, I feel like I look like a bag of shit, put bluntly, um, is the time for me to say, well, great, fantastic, I'm totally going to show up now. Not because I want to, not because I want everyone to go, oh, yeah, he doesn't look like a bag of shit today. Yeah. But because I want other people to be able to feel like, uh, you know, this, this messing with the status quo that I talk about can be achieved in a million ways. And one of them is to be successful in whatever your terms and your definition of success are totally in spite of your visual appearance your race your gender your sexuality those things don't impact and a big f you to the status quo um that believes that they do yes oh i feel like clapping pippa i really yeah. do <laughs> so on the topic of social media you've been experimenting with deleting social media over the weekend from your phone which can be mm. such a huge act of self-kindness for many depending on um specific reasons but could you tell us kind of what prompted this yeah this is a really new thing so it's quite um I think you might get a slightly different answer from me in six weeks time than you would today yeah. but so I'm I'm two weekends in now the first weekend I got through halfway through Saturday and went uh no and deleted it until Monday morning um yeah then it became more of a plan. So this weekend just gone, um, I deleted uh, Instagram and Facebook at tea time on Friday and installed them again Sunday night to sort of do prep for the week and what have you. Um, and I think the reason is probably many fold. Firstly, massive, you know, the very simple answer is massive scroll addiction, massive finding myself burning hours. Yeah. Um, just not contributing, not connecting, which is what I believe Instagram for me particularly is all about, but actually just consuming, yeah. just constant dopamine rushes of, um, you know, getting on, getting on there, quick refresh. Oh, is there anything new? Refreshing my emails is just as much of a trigger for me in terms yeah. of, oh, I got a new email in the last three minutes since I last checked. Um, partly that, partly, um, and one that, it's going to be an interesting one to admit because I don't feel shame around this, but I do feel discomfort around it. And that is the realisation that I've become pretty much incapable of doing anything fun. Yeah. I had a conversation with somebody recently, um, a coaching friend of mine, who said to me, so what do you do just for, you know, I think the phrase she used was shits and giggles. Um, and I said, I don't know. And we ruled out the things that I would have labelled as fun, like going for a walk or reading a book and, yeah. you know, and because they all came under either self-care or enjoyment, but not, not fun, not in the play definition of the word fun. Yeah. Um, and the honest answer was, I've got no idea. Mm. And I wouldn't know what to do if you sat me down on a Saturday morning and said, you've got an entire weekend, you can't go on social media. There's no housework needs doing. The shopping's in the freezer. Someone else is going to cook. Mm -hmm. You can literally do what you like a weekend. The answer would be, I've got no idea what to do with myself. And that's and that like that realization freedom. is huge. Yeah. But that kind of freedom that that offers as well of 
Wow, in terms of experimenting and discovering what looks like fun for you now is huge, isn't it? Well, it is. And I kind of, uh, I'm almost grateful because the, the the way I know something definitely needs to do, you know, needs to happen in my life. Um, and this is probably a more recent realisation is when it feels ridiculously uncomfortable because the yeah. first weekend was tough. This weekend was awful, mm. which was, you know, um, every time I'd reach for my phone, it, it was like, well, I've got no text messages because I only get so many of those an hour, as you might imagine. Um, I've reread all the articles on the Guardian a hundred times. Yeah. Um, my email, my inbox is on pause for the weekend as well. So I use Boomerang to pause my, my inbox over the weekend. Um, and I've got no social media apps. So every time I pick my phone up, I go, oh, <laughs> there's yeah. literally nothing to look at. What am I going to do now? And that was uncomfortable as hell all yeah. weekend. And that makes me all the more certain that it's something that I need to do to create some, you know, to create some space and to find but this is the bit that makes me really uncomfortable to create a life that exists outside of Instagram yeah which is crazy right oh isn't it just and it's that little it's it's the muscle memory of our thumbs and it's the kind of as you were saying before that scrolling and often it can be scrolling to numb or it can be scrolling for the dopamine hit but very rarely is it scrolling to interact with others and actually be social on social media um, oh yeah I mean I do a fair bit of that as well I do a mm. lot of connecting with folks and have a lot of chat as you know yeah. a lot of chats in in dms but um but yeah I mean that's probably 25% of the time I spend yeah. and the other 75% is mindless yeah absolutely and I think what kind of have you got any advice because this is so recent for you have you got any advice for anyone who's like oh I, I'd love to do this and then their mind's just kind of throwing up so many excuses as to why they can't yeah and I, I the, the answer to that would be I would say if the more excuses your mind is throwing up as to how you can't is probably in direct proportion to how beneficial it might be for you because yes. if it's feeling like something you couldn't possibly do without that's got real um notes of addiction to it yeah. and so it might not be um a substance abuse and I don't want to um demean substance abuse in any way shape or form to link it to, to social media addiction mm -hmm. but when you find yourself not being able to do without something at all, um, and it's not something that's nurturing you in the in the purest sense of the word, um, that's probably a good hint that you could do with experimenting with taking a break. And probably the second thing would be exactly that, experimenting. Nobody's saying yeah. that they're taking it away. Nobody's saying that you can't install it again. Maybe try just with Sundays, you know, mm. maybe just try taking a day off and seeing how you feel about it. Maybe experiment with um i know something that a lot, of, a lot of people do is they move the app around their phone frequently so that the muscle memory isn't there in yeah. terms of opening them yeah um, so sometimes it's on one page sometimes it's on another page and so on um i because it, it kind of falls in very well within the topic of self-kindness this kind of use of social media and what we do with our time and things it it's often something that I work um with clients on especially on like courses like Elevate for example where we've we've got a big group chat going on and we're all talking about ways in which um we're unkind to ourselves and things and quite often uh, the moving of the app is great for half a day but we, yes. we're so quick and the more off the more times that we move it the quicker we get at finding it um something that can be useful is most phones now have a setting where you can kind of put a time limit or um a certain <laughs> time until you can like stop being on the app but again 
we're so quick at overriding these things and it takes maybe a day or two to learn how to very quickly override it and so that becomes a muscle memory the one app that I found that works for me in terms of limiting um, or not limiting but creating boundaries around social media is called one sec have you heard of it Pippa I have yeah I haven't used it but I have seen it so what it's a bit fiddly to set up um but once it's set up it's fantastic and i've got it for a few apps like for example tiktok which is an app that the moment i'm on tiktok that's it i'm lost in a tiktok vortex like it the <laughs> algorithm is so good that all it shows me is cat videos and so yeah. that sucks me in for so long so i've got it set for that and what it does is the moment that you open it, it opens this screen and asks you to take a deep breath in, to hold the breath and then breathe out. And because um, it takes over your whole screen, it's got a little visual up and down thingy and it vibrates the phone. It's very much, um, it's quite grounding and it really makes you tap into the present. Like I haven't had it open and not done it. And I've had the app on my phone for quite a while now. Um, and then it asks you, would you like to continue to the app? or not and it asks you why you're going on the app and you have to state a reason why and it's brilliant because it kind of takes away that automatic I'm going to go from this app to this app to this app kind of thing that um, is quite easy to get into when it comes to smartphones especially with things like the little swipe up with your thumb and then you just quickly kind of hop from one app to the other so if anyone's listening and kind of thinking oh, I've tried everything and at the weekend, yeah, I would like to quite, I'd quite like to delete apps, but during the week I'm still struggling and I need those apps on my phone for business or for work. That could be worth giving it a go. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, I'll tell you the other thing I've done, which um, which helps if you live with somebody else, anybody else, doesn't matter yeah. whether it's a, a partner, a, a child or otherwise. Um, and that is, um, th there is an equivalent on Android phones, but particularly if you're an iPhone user and you have screen time, obviously, which is mm -hmm. what you were talking about, um yes it's very easy to override screen time not so easy to override screen time if somebody else is in possession of the pin number and not you. Ooh. so i used to give my daughter <laughs> the pin number and i would have to make a case to my daughter for getting hacking into my phone <laughs> outside of the screen times that i had set so it's not as yeah. if i wasn't um you know, trying to live by my own set of um, mm. in, you know, quote unquote rules. But uh, there were many an interesting conversation when daughter was asked for code, I can assure you. <laughs> I can imagine. And I think it goes back to as well what you were saying before of experimenting and seeing what works for you. Mm. Um, yeah, 100%. And just kind of giving it a go. So I'm... I'd love to ask you a question that I'm going to ask all guests on this season of the Nourishing Soulfully podcast, which is if you could add anything to be taught in the curriculum in primary and or secondary schools, what would it be? What do you wish you were taught at school? Yeah, this is one I've had to give quite a lot of thought to because I could have rolled out all sorts of practical answers I think that you know um even now you know certainly yeah. my generation but even now kids are, are short of um really practical life skills mm. you know um I can honestly tell you that I have not used Pythagoras' theorem with any great frequency <laughs> in my life but um but yeah banking would have been helpful for yeah. example yeah but on a more 
meaningful answer to that question and something that I feel is improving and like we were saying about kids being more self-aware um and you know people being more self-aware these days it is improving but I think it is something that should be actively incorporated into not even necessarily just the curriculum but the way that institutions are educational institutions are run yeah and that is the um and I'm going to use the word active deliberately the active celebration of difference the the beyond um, and by difference I mean difference in humans you know whether that be race or gender or sexuality or um, fatness ableism you know and and any of the other things that are used in society to separate us mm-hmm. that the that that rather than teaching young people around tolerance and acceptance which is great. And hey, it's a step forward from, it's a step forward, tolerance and acceptance would be a massive step forward from where we are at the moment, least of all um, where we were 20 years ago. But but I'm not interested in tolerance and acceptance. I want, you know, the kids of my kids' kids or their kids' kids, if, if they decided to have them, to be not just tolerant of other humans, but really dead excited to actively celebrate yeah. just how different we all are, rather than just accepting of... Um, those people that might be considered to be outside of the norm yeah absolutely absolutely I couldn't agree more oh Pippa thank you so much this has given me so much to thinking about and I and I'm sure that (laughs) those listening um, to the podcast will have so much to think about as well so at the moment how are you actively being kind to yourself oh that's a good question um like your good self, I have gingers who make me very happy. Um, I should be clarifying that. Ginger cats <laughs> that make me very happy. Um, they are a big part of my self-kindness because literally spending time with them is, um, you know, is restorative. Yeah. Um, huge, huge plant fan, which um, sounds quite bizarre, but there's nothing I love more than pottering around the various green leaves around my house. There's hundreds of them and they make me very happy. Yeah. Um, and I think probably prioritizing intentional rest, you know, which yeah. kind of links into the um, the Instagram stuff, is is probably the greatest act of self kindness I've ever deliberately given to myself. Probably to date in forty eight years, least of all anything else, where I'm creating loving boundaries with myself, not so much everybody mm. else, because it's it's me that pisses all over my boundaries more often than anybody else yeah. does. And it, um, and it just always yeah. is the way, isn't it? That's kind of how we all tend to work as humans. We'll kind of have these boundaries in place, but it's us that kind of oversteps them. And then others see that and act accordingly. Yes. And, and I think my passing thought on that would be, isn't it something that's really interesting to reflect on is, when you find yourself trampling all over the boundary that you have set for yourself and other people, when you think about that boundary, so if I was thinking about a boundary that I've applied to me, when I think about that boundary and I apply it to you, Peter, and I think mm-hmm. to myself, would I, if that was a Peter boundary, would I, would I consider trampling all over that? Would I be that disrespectful, that unkind, that um, inconsiderate of Peter's time or energy and do that to mm-hmm. her? And the answer would be, not in a fucking lifetime would I yeah so exactly. why do I deprioritize my own 
well-being over what I wouldn't do to someone else yeah that's always an interesting question it really really is and those expectations that we have of ourselves as well versus expectations of others and kind of just trying our best to bring them back into line because we're human just like everyone else is and we have we can only do as much as we can do I know god damn it humanness (laughs) how frustrating (laughs) oh Pippa it has been so wonderful to chat to you today thank you so much for coming on the podcast oh it's been an absolute delight thank you so much for having me and we got through with that I think there was one meow from my end what I mean it's an achievement quite frankly <laughs> well yes you've got a slight hum of a fridge in the background of mine but no I my, my two are sleeping dead to the world so um total silence it's been brilliant thank you so much Pippa where can people find you online if they would like to find more about you uh well my website is cunningly named pippaparfait.com so that shouldn't be too difficult to find um and on Instagram I apart from at the weekends I am um, I'm at pippaparfait coaching so yes do come and say hey fab and I will pop those in the podcast notes as well thank you again Pippa it has been an absolute delight you are a wonderful human and I feel very very lucky to have connected with you and to think of you as a friend oh right back at you my love thank you so much Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Nourishing Soulfully podcast. I so hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed creating it. And as a little reminder, because you are a soulful nourisher now, you've listened to an episode. As soulful nourishers, we know that resting is an investment in ourselves, our well-being, our energetic capacity. We know that play is not just for children, it enables souls of all ages to connect to creativity and joy. As soulful nourishers, we know that food is love and joy. It fuels, connects and creates. It is culture, tradition and nourishment. We know that breaks give our minds time to refocus. And we know that relaxing is the act which creates energy. It is not a waste of time. Above all, as Soulful Nourishers, we know that we are doing the best we can with the resources, time, energy, knowledge, wisdom, experience and capacity that we have to hand, always. Be gentle, be kind. You're doing the best you can, always. With lots of love, Peter and the cat.